Good morning. My name is Amy Morgan, and our scripture reading for today is from Numbers 21, verses 4 through 8. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. And then the Lord sent venomous snakes among among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. Um, I can't tell you what a privilege it is to be here. Uh, and as Bob said, it, it's been 26 years since I first started coming to ECC. And it is such a gift to get to come here every once in a while and see the way the church is growing and changing. And um, it's clearly a blessed place and it's super fun to be here. So, um, On February 6th of this year, our lives were turned upside down by the earthquake in uh, southeastern Turkey. I imagine a lot of you guys read an article or two about this uh, when it all happened. But I want to start out this by sharing some of the things that I think you may not have heard about it. Um, The area affected by that earthquake is the same size as the entire United Kingdom. The intensity of the tremors uh, that brought down towers and and buildings all um, in not only Turkey but also in Syria was felt as far away as Cyprus and Lebanon, which are about 400 miles away, which is pretty crazy. In Turkey, there were over 52,000 people that officially died in these earthquakes. The number is probably, that's the official number. The real number is probably close to three times larger than that. Um, There has never been another earthquake that affected such a large area in all of history, as far as I'm aware of. It's an area that affected about 10 times that of the Izmit earthquake that happened in 1999 near Istanbul. Istanbul is where we expected to see this earthquake happen. We never would have dreamed that it would happen down in the area that it actually did. Uh, The affected population was about 14 million people. Cities like Antakya, otherwise known as biblical Antioch to us, um, was 85% destroyed. And it caused an 180-kilometer fracture in the Earth's crust, which affected over 10 provinces, a total, and a to, which basically is the equivalent of maybe four or six atomic bombs going off all in one area. Pretty crazy. And the biggest reason for the destruction is that the earthquakes were very close to the surface, and therefore the damage to the infrastructure, such as the roads and bridges, and our airports were really high. It's truly not easy to fight a natural disaster that shifts the Earth's crust by three meters. It was truly a biblical-sized crisis. You know, the the first quake hit at about 4.15 in the morning, and I was getting messages by 5.30. Um, And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was clear shortly thereafter, I mean, that two-thirds of my goals and plans for the next year were going to be put on hold, and 
all the focus was going to be on trying to do relief efforts for the region. Um, the following week, I was asked to do an assessment trip through the earthquake zone and report on mobilization and kind of how the churches and ministries in Turkey were responding. I've been in Turkey now for nearly 20 years, and I've never done a more difficult trip. Uh, it was uh, really the closest I've ever been to an actual war zone. That's really what it felt like. And to be honest, amidst the destruction and loss, it's very easy to question God. Like, just why? I mean, why do you allow something on this level to happen? Well, um, you know, through the course of that whole season and really this past year, I would say my theme scriptures have all come out of the story of Moses and the story of Exodus. Um, After Moses brings uh, the Israelites out of captivity and out of tyranny, where did they go? Do they go straight to the promised land? Nope. (laughs) They're brought into a desert, and they're stuck there for 40 years. For 40 years. This is Wadi Rum Desert um, in southern Jordan. Um, It's about maybe 10 miles north of Saudi Arabia. Uh, We were able to visit there about a year ago. Um, It's a super dry and thirsty land. It's a place of heat and sand and little shade. Desert is a place where it's hard to do anything during the day, even in November when we were there. I mean, you didn't want to be out in the middle of the day. um, The desert, you're stuck doing things in the morning, and as it gets dark, it throws off your sleep schedule, and it's kind of boring. It's difficult to orient yourself, even know the difference between north and south, and it's super easy to quarrel with one another and fight with one another when you're in a desert. And a desert is a place of super scary monsters. Little scorpions, long snakes. They uh, are a place of real danger. It's no wonder that the Israelites grumbled in the desert. And for 40 years, that's nearly the passing of multiple generations. A lot can happen in 40 years. With all that in my mind, um, I want to turn back to our passage that we just read. Don't need to read it again, but is it not the weirdest story you've ever heard? Like, it is one of my favorites because it's so stinking bizarre. So. Verses 4 and 5 start the way all desert stories start, you know, with the people grumbling against God and against Moses. They fear they're going to die in the heat in the wilderness, and they don't like the food. There isn't enough water, and life is kind of miserable. So what, uh, so what, do they, what does God do when uh, they grumble? Uh, he sends snakes. It's like, what? Snakes kill people. They're little, terrible, scary things that are a mortal danger to people. They hide in the rocks, and they blend in with the sand, and they surprise people. In today's world, what would you do? The first thing you're supposed to do if you're bitten by a snake, call an ambulance. But they don't have anything like that in the desert. If they get bitten, they're going to die. So it's really scary and really dangerous. So the people come back to, to Moses and ask him to pray that the snakes are taken away. Well, I find it really interesting that they didn't ask to be removed from the desert. 
You know, when we're in a crisis situation, we kind of forget about all of those different things that were our creature comforts, you know, the food, the comfy bed, you know, our, you know, the places that we're at. Um, and we just focus on the crisis, and the crisis is the snakes. So Moses prays for the people, and then God gives a truly shocking response. This is one of those things that's really difficult for me to really wrap my head around. Make a snake and put it on a pole, and anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. Take the monster. Take, uh, take, (laughs) sorry, um, take the monster, the thing that you are uh, most scared of, and put it on a pole, and you must look at it to live. There is a real psychological truth here. It's practically a doctrine of modern psychotherapy. Take the thing you're most afraid of, look at it, focus on it, and you might be able to overcome it. When Moses prayed, God could have taken away the snakes, but that's not what God did. The snakes are still there. By looking at the bronze snake on the pole, the people are able to live. Another way to say that is the people were, that, that God helped them to be braver. Note, they were not saved from the snakes, and they were not taken out of the desert. They were made braver by looking at a snake on a pole, and as a result of it, they were better able to survive in the desert. The desert is a powerful metaphor for us in our lives. Think a little bit about some of your friends or some of the uh, new believers that you may have known uh, over the course of your lives. Have you ever seen someone come to faith, start going to church, and then fall away within just a couple of months? Why is that? What happens? Like, is it that they didn't find what they were looking for? Well, maybe. But perhaps the real problem is they're in a desert. They're facing the same problems the Israelites did in the Exodus story. They were brought out of bondage or out of, you know, a negative situation. And then before they get to that promised land, they're stuck in a desert. And it's lonely and it's difficult to find a new community, particularly in the heat. It's easy to look back on life they had before becoming a believer and want to go back to whatever it was they had before. Well, what about you? Is a desert a metaphor for where you are right now? Is ministry dry and difficult? Are sleep schedules disrupted? Are you grumbling about life? Are you grumbling about uh, work? Maybe academics? Maybe ministry? Or church? Or your kid's school? Are you feeling bored with what you're doing or doing for the kingdom? Maybe you're in a desert too. Let's go back to Turkey for a minute. Um, Think about the desert there too. The earthquake, uh, the earthquake turned to rubble 10 provinces, killed at least 52,000 people, and it's going to cost the country billions of dollars to rebuild. And it's forced over 15 million people to be displaced. The fortunate ones all moved to Ankara or to other places that they have family. But many are now stuck in tents or containers, and it's getting super hot. You do not want to live in a tent in the middle of summer. <laughs> we have no idea how long they're going to be in that situation. How do you rebuild your life uh, from within a tent? Where do you go to work when everything is destroyed? 
And how eternally boring is it to face the same crisis day after day after day? That is one intense desert. So, well, let's go back to that story in, uh, about the snakes again. In spite of being one of the strangest stories in the Old Testament, it's referenced by, uh, by uh, Jesus in the Gospel of, of John, chapter 3. I think most of you know, like I did, uh, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That was the first verse I ever memorized as a child. Well, right before that famous passage, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he makes a super strange statement. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus just compared himself to a snake. A snake on a pole. Well, he's comparing that cross to the bronze snake. And the cross and crucifixion are the most terrible and scary death that has ever been invented in the history of mankind. It's the summation of all of our fears, all of the things we struggle with in the world. And when we look at it, if we can actually look at Jesus we might be brave enough to carry on. It's even deeper than that. By looking upon Jesus on the cross, we can find meaning. We can find our orientation and purpose. We look upon Jesus and believe in him. We're saved. When we look upon Jesus, he looks upon us. As in this wonderful example from the Hagia Sophia. That building, if you ever get to come to Istanbul, that's the... and. You, like on a fly, a layover or anything else, the one thing you have to do is you have to go visit that building. It was built in 537. It spent 900 years as a church, 600 years as a museum, or 600 years as a mosque, then about 150 years as a museum, and now it's a mosque again. That's kind of annoying. But um, in the second floor of the building um, are a bunch of frescoes, and this is one of the most famous. When you look at it, you see... I mean, the room is considerably smaller than this, and Jesus is looking at everybody with his right eye, looking straight ahead. But he didn't forget about the people on the left. His left eye is also looking at you. No matter where you are, Jesus is conscious of you. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful example. Looking at the cross, we see ourselves as the disciples who abandoned him, we see ourselves in the, in the thief that was crucified with, with Jesus. We see ourselves in the mother of Jesus. We see ourselves in the mob that wanted to kill him despite him being innocent, in spite of him being young and having nothing, being young and having done nothing wrong except really helping people. God is calling us to be brave in the face of our fears and our difficulties. He is calling us to overcome the snakes and the dangers that we are facing. He is calling us to resist tyranny and the desire to turn back to any lives of bondage or slavery. How do we do that? By looking at a bronze snake on a pole. By looking at Jesus on the cross. By believing in him and following. If we are looking to and looking at Jesus, he gives us perspective to be brave and helps us in that way. He helps us in the desert that we might be in. If you're grumbling to God, fearful or scared, in your work or school or life, look at that snake on a pole. 
Look at the cross, and he's going to give you the bravery to overcome what you're facing. I want to end this little homily with two um, examples uh, from Turkey of some of my ministry partners. The first is Kirtilis Church, Church in Ankara. Um, these, are, these are some of my friends. This is uh, Israel and Adrian and their little baby. Um, they are a part of um, Kirtilus. Kirtilus is the largest church planting church I'm aware of really anywhere in the world. Um, there's about 40 now, fellowships now in the country that are directly related to this mother church here in Ankara. And for the past, I'd say five years or so, Isan, their pastor, has been coming to me and saying, Paul, we need a new building. Can you help me purchase and build a new building? And it never really worked. We never really found uh, sufficient justification for building it. So they were in a, a kind of a rundown apartment building um, on the first floor, and you could fit maybe 80 or, yeah, maybe 60 or 80 people were there on an average Sunday. Well, thanks to the earthquake and thanks to the economic crisis in Turkey, um, an incredible opportunity emerged. Just down the street from where they are is a standalone building, a four-story building that uh, Isan talked about as his example. And it was a wedding salon. Um, it was designed, I mean, it's been several things over its history, but right now it is a, a place for kind of upscale Turkish weddings. Thanks to the crisis, uh, the wedding chapel went bankrupt. They were never able to buy that building. It was a, probably a million-dollar building, but they were able to buy the company for something like $30,000. Like, that was pretty good. So they bought the company, and as a result of that, now they have an eight-year lease on that building, and they can do whatever they want with it. So this is super fun to me. They put the, uh, on the ground floor, they converted all of it into an industrial kitchen and a bunch of small rooms for uh, refugees and sort of temporary housing for people who are transitioning through Istanbul. And then on the first floor, you can see the chapel area is rather enormous. And um, that was right when they got it. I was able to go visit them, and it still was just a wedding chapel. And then the picture on the right is uh, one of their more recent services. They went from being a congregation of around 60 or 80 to about 200 on a given Sunday. It's super fun. So, and that all happened because of being brave and particularly cunning. So, one more for you. Um, in Antioch, in biblical... Uh, Antioch, um, first place that people were called Christians in the world, that whole city is 85% destroyed. About three years ago, um, they got in touch with me, and I started a small partnership with them. I was able to get a small grant that was enough for them to break ground on this new building over on the left. Uh, That is one of the 15% of the city that is still standing. The building on the right is their old building. Um, yeah, so they've been, uh, it, it's really fun that that has, exi- has existed like that. Abdullah and Elmas uh, have stayed in Antioch the whole time uh, since the earthquake, and they first started out, you know, they, they, their apartment was super damaged, but they could kind of live almost in the, the um, garden area outside, the, outside of the house, and they first started out helping with search and rescue. And then as the, the, you know, that ended, then they started focusing on food and water. And then after that ended, they started working on uh, tents and containers. 
And Abdullah sent me a message the other day, um, which I think is just incredible. He said, we had a building and a congregation of about 35, and no one had heard of us. Now we have no building, and there's five of us left in Antakya, but everyone knows who we are. Now that is bravery in the desert. Will you pray with me? Some, some. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this opportunity to share just a few stories about Turkey, um, to share my favorite ridiculous Exodus story um, with, uh, with CCC here, um, and to you know, just encourage everyone, um, we can make it. We can make it through the things that we're facing. Lord, I ask that you will help all of us to focus on you, focus on that snake on the pole, focus on the cross, and as a result of it, have the bravery to carry on, get through the rest of this year, get through tomorrow, whatever it is that we're facing. Uh, Lord, I I ask for everyone in this room that um, they will be encouraged to step out in new ways uh, after today. ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, guys.